On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. Stronger women make stronger communities. Child care continues to be a key issue in developing a broader Iowa workforce. A day-long workshop on the topic is coming up in early December and we'll have details. The financial impact of Iowa's electric cooperatives. And in our business profile, we'll reintroduce you to a winery and distillery whose owners have a great sense of humor and it shows up in their work. This is the Iowa Business Report for the third weekend of November 2023. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. The Iowa Women's Foundation is sponsoring the 2023 Iowa Solutions Summit on Child Care on Wednesday, December 6th in the Des Moines metro area. It's a chance to hear from experts who have worked to find unique solutions to benefit all Iowans. Deanne Cook is president and CEO of the Iowa Women's Foundation. Iowa Women's Foundation was founded in 1994, so we're coming up on our 30th anniversary. It is the only statewide organization in Iowa dedicated to women. We are in the business of empowering women and ensuring their economic self-sufficiency. We do that by breaking down the barriers to women's economic self-sufficiency. What are the key issues that you address in this 30 years from when you started, I trust it is a different time with different challenges now as opposed to 30 years ago, but I'm sure there are probably some commonalities. It has evolved, certainly, that started with a small but mighty group who gave small grants and has grown exponentially over the 30 years and become more focused. Iowa Women's Foundation participated in the She Matters report, which is about 10 years old now, and looked at the status of women in Iowa. And then in coordination with other organizations in the state serving women, the Carrie Chapman Cat Center, the Iowa Commission on the Status of Women, Women Lead Change, Chrysalis Foundation, took that She Matters report and segmented it into what they do best. And the great thing about that was lots of us can work on women's issues, but do it in a way where we're not stepping on each other's toes and be more effective and spread our impact out. Iowa Women's Foundation took women's economic self-sufficiency because we know communities are better when more women are economically self-sufficient. It lowers the poverty rate in communities. It improves well-being scores in communities. It increases civic participation in communities. So communities are lifted when women are more financially secure. One of the things that you will be focusing on extensively at a one-day event December 6th is child care. So let's talk about the Iowa Solution Summit itself, and then more broadly we'll talk about the issue of child care because that has been receiving a lot of attention the last five years. Child care has risen to the surface, and Iowa is truly a leader in the way we are coordinating our efforts to devise solutions for communities. Iowa Women's Foundation is the recipient of an Iowa Economic Development Authority grant to employ an employer engagement director. Her name is Sherry Penny. She's on our staff. And her job is to really provide technical assistance to community leaders, policymakers, stakeholders, business owners, 
to help them down the path of childcare solutions for their communities. We now have so much going on. Sherry is working with over 150 businesses, over 70 communities. It's time to start sharing what's happening out there, what's working. Hear from those who have implemented some strategies. And the best way to do that is to bring everybody together and let them hear directly from the people implementing intergenerational care, school district partnerships, wage enhancement programs, what's working, what they've learned, what they do differently so that we can start to scale and replicate those solutions across the state. We are going to do that on December 6th at Prairie Meadows. Now, as someone who does not have children, does not have grandchildren, therefore does not have issues concerning child care, I don't think I can appreciate just exactly how much of an impact having affordable, accessible child care may be, and therefore what a negative impact it is, not only for the individual, but for the workforce, if it's not available. Absolutely. And so we go back to Stronger women make stronger communities. So everybody benefits. Man, woman, child, childless, families benefit when we have that basic barrier addressed. Pre-COVID, employers thought that childcare was really a personal issue. As long as staff showed up on time and stayed till the bell rang at the end of the day, childcare was not on employers' minds. Then COVID happened and they realized when there's not childcare, things fall apart. Productivity falls, absenteeism rises, people leave the workforce, and that's really what gelled it. And everybody realized kids are not in your own home, but state of childcare in your community does affect you. And again, from my outside vantage point, if school is canceled for whatever reason, an in-service day or weather, often childcare closes as well. Governmental buildings close, so you may not have a rec center or a library it really becomes an issue where the employee has some real choices that they have to make and they're going to pick their children and that responsibility above a job, which is understandable, but that's something that the businesses now have to accept, understand, and work with, especially when it's hard to find good employees to begin with. You don't want to do anything that's going to discourage someone from remaining in your employ. So we see different challenges. You've outlined the challenges really well. In rural communities, there are not enough options. And in urban communities, they're too expensive. So people are having to make choices. And if their wage doesn't cover childcare, they're not gonna work. And if their employer is not either flexible with them and their needs for childcare or helping them find safe, affordable, reliable childcare, they aren't gonna be in the workforce. So those choice conversations happen in the home, but they also need to happen in the community because there's a direct tie back to how many people are available to be in the workforce. At the Iowa Solutions Summit, you're going to, as you said, share some stories, examples, things that have worked, things that might work somewhere else. Give us a few of the examples you're aware of to give us an idea of how the thought process has evolved in different communities in different ways, because some of us have an idea of a model, but a model doesn't work. So what are some of the more imaginative or creative ways that have been employed to solve the issue? 
That's right. They are unique to communities because the challenge exists across the state, but it is different based on the community, whether it's an affordability issue, an accessibility issue. So Iowa Women's Foundation has not been here to push any one solution. It has been to facilitate and consult to help stakeholders and communities find the right solution for them. The idea of what a solution looks like has evolved over time. At first, when people not familiar with childcare started hearing about the childcare crisis and there weren't enough spaces, they immediately thought literal physical space. We have to build buildings. We need to incent businesses to build buildings. It wasn't a literal space issue. So we moved beyond that into, well, let's help connect employees to specific childcare, create a partnership with a specific childcare in our community. Childcare is really personal. What works for my kid may not work for your kid. It's a very personal choice. And employers found they did not want to be in the position of choosing and forcing a specific choice on their employees. So what now it has evolved to, as it has gone through this sort of five-year cycle, is supporting employees and supporting the childcare workforce through wage enhancement programs. So what we're seeing emerging now is communities, and there are about 10 that we're working with who are pooling funds to raise and support childcare wages in their community. And that is being matched by some ARPA dollars from the state. So we've gone from, you got to build a building to how do we incorporate choice to the extent that we can? And then how do we keep people who have chosen childcare as a career in that career? So we kind of cover the spectrum with the solutions and where communities are at. I'm looking at the list of breakout sessions and it is quite diverse and broad. Everything from how to start from the very beginning to on-site builds, partnerships with the providers, intergenerational care. It truly, I mean, that's a half dozen on this list that really encompass a wide variety of disciplines within this broad topic. Right. Because again, we don't want to force any one particular solution. We want to highlight the things that are happening and wherever attendees can latch on and say, that makes sense to us we can help connect them with those who have gone before them and can provide some insight and guidance. To round out the day, we do want to highlight those that you listed off, what's actually happening in communities and what can those folks tell us about what they're learning. We have also included a legislative panel. We have confirmed Senator Jeff Edler and Representative Megan Jones, who are working on these issues in the legislature. We will add a couple more. We want folks to know what kind of policy supports are around this work, because it's not just about money. It's not just about policy. It's not just about anyone thing. It's a spectrum of things that need to work together. So we want to talk about policy and what things might move in the 24 session that we can get behind. We also have HHS and IEDA presenting to talk about the supports that are available through their departments, the investments that they've made, the resources that are available to communities. Director Durham will kick us off in the morning on December 6th to just talk about why this is an issue and why they're investing in it. I think it's a real well-rounded day. It's a roll up your sleeves and learn kind of a day, but policy, resources, investments, examples, you know, we kind of want to hit the whole spectrum so people can really see the breadth and depth of what's happening in Iowa. Deanne Cook, President and CEO of the Iowa Women's Foundation. 
We connected via Zoom on Tuesday, November 14. The Iowa Solutions Summit on Child Care will be on Wednesday, December 6. And for more information or to register, you can go to IAWF.org. Still to come, powering local economic growth. And later, Marion produced wine and spirits with a story. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. It wouldn't be Christmas without Camp Courageous Fruitcakes. And they're now available in stores across Iowa and at campcourageous.org fruitcakes. Camp Courageous Fruitcakes are generously filled with cherries, nuts, pineapple, coconut, and just the right amount of cake batter to hold it all together. Best of all, proceeds go to support Camp Courageous near Monticello, Iowa. For a list of stores or to order online, go to campcourageous.org fruitcakes. Support for the Iowa Business Report comes from the Iowa Business Council, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization working to elevate Iowa's economy through leadership, research, and advocacy. Learn more and review the latest quarterly member survey by going to iowabusinesscouncil.org. Earlier this year, the Iowa Association of Electric Cooperatives commissioned an economic impact study through Goss & Associates of Omaha, documenting the contribution of locally owned co-ops to Iowa's economy. The study showed that for the five years ending in 2021, Iowa electric co-ops generated a total impact on the state of $4.8 billion dollars producing $688 million in wages and salaries, indirectly supporting nearly 2,000 jobs, generating self-employment income of $79.5 million, and paying nearly $145 million in state and local taxes. The study also found that Iowa electric cooperatives had an impact of $14.7 billion in economic development projects between 2018 and 2022, supporting nearly 7,400 jobs. The information was shared in the group's monthly Iowa Electric Cooperative Living magazine. Coming up, personalized products grown at home. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. You asked, the City of Waterloo answered. This fall, high-speed internet is coming to a Waterloo neighborhood near you. Waterloo Fiber, as it's called, is a voter-approved, locally-owned and operated utility. So no hidden fees, no profit-driven models, just fast and reliable internet service for a fixed price with local customer service. For more information, go to waterloofiber.com to sign up today so you can be notified when the service is available, again, only for Waterloo residents. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, educating, guiding, advising, and coaching Iowa businesses. Search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook and get more at AdvanceIowa.com. In our business profile, we'll reintroduce you to Heidi and Patrick Legal, owners of Cherry Meadow Winery and Distillery in Marion. At the time of our conversation in early 2022, The business had been around for a few years and had already undergone many changes. It actually started because I was in a car accident and I couldn't go back to work for anybody else, but I wasn't ready to be on disability. Still wanted to contribute to 
society, I guess you would say, you know, do something. We had been beekeepers and I had put together a business plan on how to put together a cherry orchard for my bees. And then in the business plan, it was, we have all this honey and all this cherries. Now, what do we do with it? So I had learned to make wine. And at the time, that was too big to make into one big plan. So I started with, I had won some awards in making wine, so I started making wine. And we opened up the winery. And then this last year with the COVID, everybody says, well, you either got to learn a skill or clean your house. And I'm not going to clean my house. So I learned how to make spirits. (laughs) What have you learned about this business that surprised you or that you didn't think that was going to be a factor when you got into it? Advertising. I never took in like to account advertising because to me it was, oh, well, you own a winery. Everybody knows to go to a winery. Well, except for we're kind of like in a corner spot in the back of Marion. It's not like we're downtown where everybody walks by and everybody's like, oh, well, there's a winery in the middle of Marion. And to this day, four years later, we still have people, well, we never knew you were there. kind of tucked back into a corner when you expanded from wine into spirits how did that change uh the character of the business does one need a lot more equipment is it the same basic equipment and then you develop the the different formulas or how does that even work it's truly about the same basic equipment i use most of the equipment that i use for the wine on the spirits we just add a still and a corn cooker (laughs) What is it about coming up with the formulas? Because I'm looking now at the wines that I can purchase, and I might expect something like apple, blackberry, lemon. Okay, I I mean, I don't know much about this. I might expect those. Pineapple, habanero, that's not something that I necessarily expected. Uh, Tell me what's distinctive about some of these products that Cherry Meadow has. So our best seller is lime, far and away. Our best seller is lime. So the cute little story behind that is I used to work for an engineering design firm. I was their admin and I started taking engineering classes to become an engineer. I did not get my engineering degree because I could not pass chemistry. That's ironic now, isn't it? Right, because I do chemistry all day long. (laughs) So in the wine business, you have to get the yeast to eat the fruit, which most fruits, it's fine. Lime is too acidic. And so it was kind of a, a chemistry experiment to get it to ferment. And I figured it out and I made it as a joke. I said, look, honey, what I can do. And then he's like, well, you have to put that out there. On, you know, you have to sell that. Like, no, 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 I made that for me. Like, that's mine. He goes, no, 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 just, just put it out there. And I put it out there and I sold out in like a week. And it, it's our bestseller. It's, it's one of those things that because I couldn't pass chemistry and now <laughs> this is what I've done, it's, it's interesting to me. But it really, it does taste like a margarita without the tequila. We started with Cherry Meadow because we were going to have a cherry orchard for the bees. Sure. So it turns out that the federal government says if I named my wine that, that everything either had to have cherries in it or had to be from the same meadow. So our wine brand is actually onomatopoeia wines. So an onomatopoeia is a word that's a sound. So if you look, all of our wines have onomatopoeia names. Lime is twang, and we have boom and buzz and 
you know, like the old 60s Batman, Pow King. Anyway, so we named it that because if you squeeze a fruit, a little wine comes out. (laughs) W-H-I-N-E. So that's how we got our wine brand. And then, yes, we do have, we have Charlay cows and they're all white. And if you look at them under a full moon, people say they look like we have ghost cows. So therefore we make white cow spirits. What are some of the challenges that you look at here in the next few years? Obviously you took, you know, a terrible situation, frankly, and, and made this out of it, which is, which is wonderful. Then pandemic is in there as well. Well, what do you look at now with that business plan looking forward? Well, we do want to move it out to our farm. We have a farm out in Central City. We'd like to, you know, be like a winery destination place because that's what you think of when you think of wineries. And we're working up to it. It's um, a lot of costs and a lot of rules and regulations that we have to look at. So that's going to be one of our big challenges is how we move from our cute little shop in Marion to being a name that you recognize. Heidi Legal, she and her husband Patrick own Cherry Meadow Winery and Distillery in Marion, online at cherrymeadow.square.site. We connected via Zoom on Wednesday, January 26, 2022. We were going to share with you this week a business profile of an entity formed by a pair of former TV anchors to help companies share their news. We will have that for you in a future program. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to TotallyIowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. That's where you'll find podcasts of full interviews with many of the folks you hear on this program. They're listed as IBR Extras and IBR Business Profiles. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, 18 now in all. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, providing business solutions and support to small to medium-sized businesses. Let's work together. More at AdvanceIowa.com and search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.